The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. This is Squawk Box. The headlines this hour, a spike in new cases and deaths in China from coronavirus as it revises its method for counting infections, while Beijing fires top party officials at the centre of the outbreak. Chinese stocks, meanwhile, break a seven-day winning streak as virus fears mount, despite US equities rallying to fresh all-time highs. Airbus hopes to deliver over 800 commercial aircraft in 2020 after the French aerospace giant reports a 1.3 billion euro net loss for 2019. Credit Suisse CEO Tijan Tiam oversees his final set of earnings at the helm of the Swiss bank after it lowered its profitability target for the fourth quarter, but some analysts expect a positive surprise in the bond business. And we'll cover the breadth of the European C-suite on this Super Thursday, talking to top execs from NN Group, DSM, Clariant, Zurich Insurance, Euronext, Temenos, AMS, Commerce Bank, and Pernod Ricard. Uh, so, very warm welcome, everybody. This is Squawk Box. Uh, we're just hanging on here for uh, some numbers to come through from some of the major uh, financials. Um, Credit Suisse will uh, deliver us um, some figures shortly. I have one number, and that's about it at this stage. But obviously, this is a very critical set of earnings for Credit Suisse. Uh, fourth quarter net profit coming in at $852 million. That's two numbers. Through, isn't it? It's just <laughs> extremely painful. But of course, the reason why is we've actually got an avalanche of uh, earnings coming through this morning. And I think at this point, the um, system gets slightly overwhelmed with the steady release. But it's also in a different language, these, some um, of the hopefully announcements coming through, which is very useful for us as English come, journalists. It doesn't make great television, this. But <laughs> no, this obviously is, this this is, is what is traders are facing as well, sitting on the trading floor trying to digest this raft of earnings coming through. Super Thursday is always a hectic day. But when it comes to Credit Suisse, I mean, clearly still about the, the wash-up from the scandal, the spy scandal, the greatest spying scandal in Swiss banking history, if we can term it like that. And the news out last week that uh, Tijan Tiem will exit the business now. So I think still plenty of questions for the Swiss press anyway. And that's been seen as one of the key tasks for the new CEO to tackle the way the Swiss press see Credit Suisse. Uh, well, we've got a few more numbers, so let's just bring you these. Um, they give us a, a little bit more light, but it is slow and steady going, as I say here. The uh, group giving us a pre-tax income line for full year 2019 at 4.284 billion Swiss francs. The poll expectation was for 4.41 billion Swiss francs. So it looks like a, a slight miss on the pre-tax income line. The uh, group says the net profit, uh, uh, just, just to reiterate that, the net profit line, 852 million. The market was looking for 968 million for the fourth quarter. So again, that appears to be a little light on the numbers. And, you know, we were speculating as to the uh, actual reasons for the departure of Tijan TM. And I think most 
put it down to the ongoing issue of the spying scandal surrounding Iqbal Khan, even though uh, he was apparently cleared of it having any knowledge uh, surrounding that particular operation. But we were, of course, speculating that perhaps the numbers uh, are not a beat for this uh, fourth quarter and full year. And perhaps that just adding to the pressure that there's speculation on the board that the strategy that he's employed isn't deliver the earnings that they're hoping for. They're but keen to point out the, the turnaround strategy has been a, a part of the journey. And if you look at some of the numbers in the release, I'm just pouring through it now. The return on tangible equity of 9%, that is up from 5% in 2018. They say demonstrate strong progress towards their 2020 ambition of around 10%. So you think at 9% level, they, they're not far off. Diluted earnings per share, 1.32 Swissy compared to 0.77 per share back in 2018. The tangible book value per share at 15.88 at the end of 2019 compared to 15.27. So by a number of metrics, you've seen an improvement. And on the capital ratio, uh, clearly a big thing for many of the European banks still 12.7%, the CET1 ratio. That is up from 12.6% last year. So nudging in the right direction, the tier one leverage ratio at 5.5% up from 5.2%. So I think there's a, a lot of uh, ticking of boxes in these numbers today. Uh, there was also a line I saw a moment ago on uh, net new assets too. It's 79.3 million, billion rather, 79.3 billion Swissy, a record level since 2013. They're talking about driving their new asset base to a record level of 1.5 trillion assets under management. I think the challenge here is, Karen, and I've, you know, I've been looking at uh, Credit Suisse um, for some years. The promise uh, that Tijan TM offered um, has taken a very long time to deliver. I mean, this was a de-risking approach that he took to the bank, shifting its focus to Asia-Pacific and um, less risky investment banking into the fund management business. But this is a slow and steady story rather than the kind of spectacular numbers that we've seen out of some of the American banks here, particularly around advisory and fee income. And I'm just not sure that 9% ROTE at this point is enough to demonstrate the success of the strategy. And you can see in the share price performance under his tenureship that the market has not been convinced, even as those banking analysts continue to applaud the shift in the quality of the earnings stream. Well, I think that they are acutely aware of the fact that they do need to take investor concern into consideration. And today, saying they expect to do a buyback of at least a billion Swiss franc of shares in that 2020. Helps, doesn't it? helps the sentiment. It certainly does. I mean, <laughs> clearly, you know, they're trying to show that this bank is in a safe pair of hands now moving forward. But the share price is, you know, lackluster. We are going to push on, I think, and take a look at some more earnings. It's been a pretty big day today with Commerce Bank also reporting numbers. And, of course, uh, all this is there's still been calls for consolidation across the European banks. Uh, let's uh, just delve into that Q4 net result of minus 54 million euros uh, versus the same quarter last year when we had about 113 million euros. So some weakness in those numbers are confirming its target for a cost base of 6.7 billion euros. The risk result, they say, is expected to be above minus 650 million euros. It confirms its target for a common equity T1 ratio of at least 12.75% by uh, year end. That is the aim. They're also planning to maintain a dividend paired ratio for 2020. And uh, in terms of uh, the Q4 costs, and, and I think if you look at many of the European banks, it is all about the cost side, given the lack of growth we're seeing in the Eurozone. Costs totaled 
1.67 billion euros in the fourth quarter. That is slightly higher than the same time a year ago. And uh, also some comments about the sale process of the M Bank in Poland. That process has started. So again, shedding elements of the portfolio to try and improve the uh, overall returns of the business. That continues to be a strategy. But uh, I believe we've got Annette standing by for us. Annette has been pouring right through these numbers and can give us some colour about that uh, fourth quarter net profit, uh, which has come through 0.00. Annette, what do you make of the numbers? Well, actually, if you look at the number set for the fourth quarter, they come in a little bit lower than expected, especially if you look at the net profit line. An analyst had, had expected a very uh, yeah, minimal loss of uh, only $3 million. Now we have f- uh, $54 million as a loss. EBIT also is uh, lower than analysts had expected. The same holds true for pre-tax. Revenue more, looks, uh, more or less looks bang in line. But I guess the interesting one is uh, what's going to happen next. And how this look uh, this year will look like. It, we all know that Commerzbank is highly relying, or their strategy is highly relying on higher interest rates, and they are not very likely to happen also this year. And so the big question mark is a uh, is whether the strategy is going to work. We had reports recently that DCB, uh, the supervisory of that institution, is actually not happy with the low profitability of Commerzbank, especially because their return on equity target is just 4%. For this quarter, obviously, it's negative, but their return on tangible equity is also only 3.6%. So one could argue that they're not actually um, earning their capital cost, uh, even though we don't know them exactly, but they should be quite a lot higher. So essentially, what the bank is saying, they could attract, again, more clients. But the big question mark is whether they also make money with all these clients, because we know that a huge deposit pay base in times when they have to actually pay the ECB for having deposits is not something which is very beneficial for bank earnings. So what the bank is saying uh, is that they are continuing uh, to trim costs, they're continuing their strategy, and that they're quite happy with the fourth quarter results whether this is enough to be to do it on a standalone basis for like the foreseeable future that remains to be seen with that back to you Annetta, thank you very much we're pouring through a, a third company now nn group also reporting its fourth quarter numbers today thick and fast uh, is uh, how these reports are crossing at first up at 6am here in london i want to get into uh, the first up uh, numbers that we're seeing for the business cost savings again still stripping out money from the business at 36 million euros at the fourth quarter 2019 they are talking about a share buyback program of 250 million euros to be completed within 12 months. Updated dividend policy consisting of a progressive dividend per share. And uh, they'll also continue to return excess capital to shareholders. So tick the box on capital return programs. We're ticking the box on uh, what we're seeing on the cost saving side. And if you take a look at the bottom line, fourth quarter net profit, 329 million euros, the operating profit at 428 million euros, 2019 value of new business at 358 million. So that dividend, it has been raised to 1.4 
zero euros per share versus 124. So it is going higher at this point. And uh, the group cash capital position at the end of the fourth quarter, 1.99 billion euros. So let's just uh, delve into the detail with uh, David Knibble, who joins us now. He is the CEO of NN Group. David, just set it out for us. How did you think the fourth quarter played out for you? Yes, good morning. Well, indeed, it was a uh, it was a strong quarter. We were very pleased to see that the, our operating result was 10% up. Also that our uh, the growth of our new business in Europe, which is very important for us, grew with 21%. And I was personally particularly pleased that our customer satisfaction grew with five points to, uh, to plus four. So overall, it was a uh, very positive quarter for us. We've noted the, the lack of growth we're seeing across many businesses in Europe, and particularly in the uh, bank insurance or banking and insurance businesses. What do you make of the low interest rate environment and what that means for pressure on the cost side? I noticed that you tallied up another 36 million euros in cost savings in the fourth quarter. Yes, well, I think clearly for uh, insurance uh, uh, companies, low rates are not favorable. Uh, it has an impact on, on the products that we, uh, we offer. But the good news is that we've seen all these uh, movements in rates and particularly down and uh, the company is very resilient, where you have a very uh, sophisticated hedging program and therefore our solvency remains uh, strong at uh, 218%. Uh, so we're confident that when also in this low rate environment, we can uh, deal with this very well. Uh, but if we look at uh, your life insurance business, this is one of the areas, I mean, it's your largest uh, operating business. Um, it's one of the areas that is most affected by that interest rate story at this point. Is there any reason to believe uh, in full year 2020 that growth will return to this particular segment? Well, the, if we look at the uh, the life company, there's a couple of things we're doing. I think you already uh, mentioned this. We're, we're bringing our cost down, which is uh, very important. At the same time, we're optimizing our balance sheet. And, and essentially, that means that we're uh, uh, up-risking our balance sheet, given that uh, the, we have a very conservative uh, risk profile. What is actually very good on the commercial side is there's a very good momentum in the shift from defined benefit to defined contribution products. We have around a 40% uh, uh, market share. And uh, so we continue to sell a lot of DC products, but typically, of course, they have a different nature than, uh, than the defined benefit products in, uh, in the past. But we continue to grow in the DC space, which is good news for us. And can you just talk a little bit about the non-life insurance business uh, in um, Europe and the Netherlands? Yes, of course. Primarily, we are active in non-life uh, in the Netherlands. Uh, we had very strong results in 2019. Our overall combined ratio was 95.4. So this is also the first time that we're for the full year behind uh, the, the external target that we set of 97. Uh, I have to say that also the weather has been uh, favorable. We didn't have a lot of uh, big storms, so that uh, that helped our result. The big challenge going forward is now we expect to close our, uh, our takeover of FIVAT, the FIVAT non-life company uh, this quarter. And uh, that means as of next quarter, we'll start integrating the uh, uh, the FIFA business into the uh, NN non-life business. And we expect another 40 million of cost savings or 50 million of extra uh, capital generation uh, on the back of that uh, deal. David, give us an update on what you're seeing in your asset management business. I saw your operating result has risen to 41 million euros this quarter from the uh, 30 million same quarter last year. And just clarify what your strategy really is when it comes to asset management. Yes, I think our asset, our asset manager indeed did uh, did well, uh, mostly because we, they managed to save uh, uh, a lot of cost. 
overall, I think we see in the asset management space uh, pressure on fees. There's still an uh, ongoing shift to uh, to passive. So that trend, uh, if you will, is downward. So we are now very much investing in products, specialized fixed income products, like, for example, high yield uh, or multi-asset propositions um, in order to offset that, uh, that trend. And that, of course, needs to be combined with uh, staying very, very efficient. And the asset manager did a good job on that in, uh, in 2019. David, thank you so much for joining us this morning, walking us through the numbers. David Kniba, CEO of NN Group. Well, let's push on. More earnings for you, this time coming from ThyssenKrupp. A difficult set of numbers for the German company. They have come out and said that Steel Europe has swung to an operating loss in the final quarter. Uh, in, in the quarter, 164 million euros. That was versus a 38 million euro profit a year earlier. They posted a 77% drop in overall operating profit, blaming a weak auto market. Uh, and then that steel division also, uh, as I just mentioned, uh, facing some challenges. On the all-important elevator transaction, the deadline was this week for binding bids for Tyson's elevator business, which they are looking to divest. The CEO has said the decision on that transaction is imminent. A lot of news flow coming through there, so we'll look out for news on that front. And then importantly, they have backed their guidance. So although the Q1 net loss was wider than expected, they have backed their uh, their broader guidance. So not all bad news when it comes to ThyssenKrupp. Um, one of the stories that caught my eye uh, recently, Nestle, their low sugar chocolate. Mm-hmm. It's not selling. Not tasty enough. I don't know, but uh, you'd have thought low sugar chocolate in this environment where apparently we're all crusaders against sugar. Uh, that would have done okay. But apparently um, Nestle saying they're going to axe that particular product due to weak sales. So how are they doing across the board? Well, let's have a look at Nestle. 2019 sales coming in at 3.5% here. The um, group uh, says it expects continued increases in organic sales growth in 2020. Dividend of uh, two, two Swiss franc, uh, 70 the uh, group telling us 2019 sales at 92.6 billion Swiss franc. Um, let's find you some other numbers that might be interesting. Uh, the um, operating margin, which is, I think, something that everybody is interested in when it comes to this business, given the uh, input uh, cost increases we've seen in some commodities. Um, underlying trading operating profit margin uh, set to see a continued improvement, uh, they say. So the reported sales up 1.2% here, um, as I say, at 92.6 billion, with the 2018 at 91.4. You want to jump in? Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, you mentioned first off the organic growth numbers for Nestle. And I think the question for investors at this point is really about organic growth acceleration, whether they believe Nestle can inch toward that 5% organic growth target. They're targeting mid-single digit, which essentially means 5%. Whether they can do it, 3.5% right now, it's still a way to go for Nestle. Just reading through the release, coronavirus, uh, they've flagged up a whole paragraph on the impact of coronavirus in these results today. Talking about the spread of it uh, has required extraordinary effort from their team in China. They're focused on the safety of their people, their families, including protective measures for all of their facilities. They say they're working closely with the Chinese authorities as they take measures to contain the epidemic, building on their significant experience, expertise, expertise on the ground. 
Uh, they're going to talk about their immediate thoughts of being with the people directly impacted by the global health emergency, standing in solidarity with the Chinese people and working hard to ensure that uh, their nutritious food and beverages continue to be widely available, particularly for the most vulnerable, the youngest and oldest in society. So again, I guess a nod to supply chains in China at this point. Also, in terms of what it represents to them, the Greater China region is their second largest market, representing about 8% of global sales. They go on to say it's too early to quantify the financial impact of this outbreak at this present time. And perhaps that's a message investors should pick yeah. up on as they keep on running stock markets high. I mean, yesterday it was a little bit of an exception, saw some patchiness, but hey... Investors, take stock. We don't have the answers at this point around coronavirus. Yeah, I mean, um, important messaging around the coronavirus. Um, I think Nestle also has demonstrated that it has bought into the and understands the um, the story around ESG. Some of the things that they've been very active in is moving into the recycled packaging market and so on and so forth. Um, I don't think these numbers will be a problem. Um, it's a beat on the net line. And as far as I can see here, the free cash flow number looks good. The buyback program continues to encourage investors to stay with the share. And they've been, uh, proposed a dividend increase of uh, 25 centimes to uh, two Swiss franc 70 per share. Um, let's move away from the corporates for a moment here and refocus on the uh, headlines around coronavirus. Hubei province, the region at the centre of the coronavirus outbreak, has reported a record rise in the death toll from the infectious disease. 242 people died on Wednesday, which is the highest daily rise since the beginning of the outbreak, as local authorities changed their methodology for counting infections. They now include suspected cases rather than just clinically diagnosed cases to allow more patients to receive the same treatment. This brings the global figure to more than 44,000. Meanwhile, Beijing has sacked the party secretary of Hubei following heavy criticism of how local officials have handled the crisis. The outbreak has, meanwhile, prompted the organizers of the Mobile World Congress to cancel this year's event. GSMA said it was impossible to hold the conference due to global concern around the spread of the virus. A slew of industry heavyweights, including Ericsson, Cisco, Intel, Facebook, and Amazon, had already canceled their participation at Europe's largest telecoms conference. The only decision to take at this point, you've got 100,000 people crammed into about eight halls intermingling from various parts around the world, and then they all spill across into the city of Barcelona and take over that key Catalan city. So you've got to say, if there was a problem, that it would be a problem for Spain, not just for this conference. They didn't have a lot of choice here, did they? I mean, basically, the underlying exhibitors were putting pressure on the organiser. A lot of leadership taken, I think, at this point from some of the corporates. Coming up on the show, we're going to speak to the DSM CEO, Faiki Sabesma, about the health and nutrition firm post its four-year results today. And a quick look at the opening calls. Here's how we've perched. Uh, it is a little bit weaker across the board. If you uh, take a quick look at the numbers on the back, uh, what is a now cautious view on coronavirus uh, sweeping across from health authorities? If you enjoy Squawk Box Europe, check out the Brave Ones podcast. The series explores the rise of some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. Through exclusive interviews with family, friends and colleagues, The Brave Ones podcast features stories of determination, resilience and ingenuity. Available on Apple Podcast, Spotify and Google Play. The Brave Ones podcast presented by Credit Suisse. 
Welcome back to Squawk Box. DSM has hiked its dividend by 10 cents to 2.4 euros a share after seeing top and bottom line growth in 2019. The health and nutrition company now expects a mid-single-digit increase in EBITDA in 2020. Well, very happy to say that the CEO of DSM, FICA Sebesma, is with us now for more. Thanks very much, sir, for joining us on, I believe, your last day in the uh, in the hot seat. So thanks very much. Um, if I look at your Q4 numbers, it looks like it was a fairly challenging end to the year. Group sales down 3%, EBITDA up 7 But materials looks as though it continues to face some headwinds. So walk us through the quarter. How did the last uh, few months of the year go? Yeah, indeed. Uh, in the quarter, we had 7% uh, step up of our EBITDA. Uh, and of course, in some of the business, we saw some softening in the end markets, especially in our human nutrition business. But if I look overall to 2019, I can say it was a good year again. And like you said, the macroeconomic environment is challenging. Uh, we had the trade issues. We have softening of some of the end markets. We were confronted with the African swine flu. Now Corona. Etc. But despite that, in 2019, we stepped up in our EBITDA with 10%, our cash generation even with 47%, especially also in this fourth quarter. So cash generation was very good. And if I look, Karen, to, to the total, uh, I mean, um, uh, 2020, uh, the outlook, we indicated a continued step up of our cash generation, EBITDA growth mid-single digit. Driven mainly, I think, by three different things. Uh, we focus further on our growth initiatives, and we announced yesterday our Fit for Growth program in our nutrition business, our innovation portfolio doing very well with clean cow and those kind of things, and also cost containment operational excellence. So uh, on that basis, we, we provided our outlook for 2020, which mid a further increase of, of profit. And the confidence is also, I think, reflected in a step up of, of dividends. Now, I agree with you, the macroeconomic environment is challenging and we do not expect in our outlook any recovery of that. Uh, despite that situation, we can continue our growth in 2020. And now one area of your business I know investors are watching very closely is vitamin E. And you've got a, a JV going with the Chinese partner Nenter to produce vitamin E. And I understand a lot of the facilities for this production are in Hubei province in China. And these facilities were closed for refurbishment of sorts. Are, are you still targeting a Q3 2020 reopening of these facilities or has coronavirus derailed those plans? Yeah, we need to see. Um, and the, the, on Corona, the, the most important thing is, of course, the health of our own people on which we focus. And most of our factories are, and especially the bigger ones, are in full operation. So that's okay. And of course, some office personnel is, is at home. Now, we have one factory in the Hubei province. Uh, you're right. Uh, but that factory is down anyway. That was already uh, down because it's being revamped. And it's planned to open in the third quarter of 2020. Uh, we need to see, it's too early to say whether the coronavirus will delay that. It will not speed it up for sure. Um, and, um, but our other vitamin E factories uh, are running. So most of our uh, operations in China are running. And of course, our global operations are, are running. And this factory was already down uh, for a revamp.
Um, Fikey, your last set of earnings here, but obviously the strategy continues and you move into this honorific position as honorary chairman. What what then does this sort of clunky start to the year around coronavirus and some of the weaker trends in the fourth quarter mean then for the bigger strategy 21 uh, that was outlined by you earlier? Does Do, do those targets remain? No, it, I, I, like I said, Jeff, I, I don't see a recovery now of the macroeconomic environment. That remains challenging uh, with trade issues, with some end markets. We saw that the food and beverage market and uh, the end market is a little bit soft. And of course, that, that impacted us also in the fourth quarter. Uh, we see uh, uh, the coronavirus, African swine flu, etc. But despite that, we showed growth of our EBITDA in the fourth quarter. Despite that, we showed uh, substantial growth over the whole year 2019. Despite that, we expect a further step up in our EBITDA in 2020. So I think we can deal with that. We are not counting on an improvement of the macroeconomic environment. So we need to do it by ourselves. Our own growth initiative, our own innovation programs, our own self-help in terms of uh, cost reduction. And that is what we will do. And in that context, we can continue to grow also our EBITDA and cash generation in 2020. And, and, and operating in that macroeconomic environment. If you look to our materials business with a flat EBITDA in this macro uh, over the year, I think that is a very good uh, performance and shows the resilience. And yeah, nutrition, I mean, also in this fourth quarter, we had a step up in EBITDA and over the year, 12%. So Thank I think we, we do well there, not disrecognizing the macro. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.